Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you are listening to Hardcore Church Planning, and uh, we've got an amazing guest today. Peyton, why don't you go ahead and introduce the guest? Yeah, so we have on the show today my favorite blogger, hands down. Um, I, I, I read your name all the time, Carrie. Is it Carrie Nyawoff? You know, every, everyone pronounces it differently. That was very creative. It is so simple. It's new. <laughs> It's Newhoff. Newhoff. Yep. New N I E U W is the Dutch word for new. And, nice. uh, and if, if you were truly Dutch, and I'm sure we have a few Dutch listeners, it would be Newhoff. But we just say Newhoff. Nice. Well, All you know in high what? school That's... was hey Newhoff. That was Newhoff. <laughs> That's <laughs> why I like at you, home, man. It's like hey Newhoff. It's like I, what? I cannot tell you how many times I've had to fly through Schiphol Airport. And uh, the Dutch are super cool people. That's why I Aren't like you, mean? man. Hey, have you picked up strope waffles at Skip Hall Airport? So what there's are these they? little tins, these little tins, and they're syrup waffles. So strope, it looks them. like stroops, S-T-R-O-O-P, waffles, waffles. And they are the best thing. My grandmother always had them in her house. And every oh, once yeah. in a while, if we, we've been to Holland a few times, so you can get them at Dutch stores across Canada. And uh, they're great. They're just really good. They're little Dutch things. They're great. So, so no joke, they have them in the Starbucks down the street from my house. Seriously? Yeah, because really? the they Dutch, have strobe waffles. Yeah, wow. you know this, right? Like they're wow. just the right size to put over top of your cup of coffee or tea. Oh, yeah. And, they and the so steam good. heats them and makes them gooey. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a European You want thing. them a little gooey and you want them fresh and all that. No, we just, we just made all the Dutch listeners go, I want a strobe waffle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Number one, um, before we do that, um, Pete's sounding sexier than usual. That's because he's in a hotel lobby at, at, a, at a conference, and his sound sucks. So, no no joke there. But I'm just glad you didn't tell him that my wife kicked me out, and that's why I'm at a hotel lobby. So, appreciate that. Pete Pete's been sleeping on the streets. He's wearing a blanket right now. He hasn't shaved for days. And uh, anyway, so back to Carrie. Our uh, guest today, as I said, he is my favorite uh, uh, blogger. You can catch him at kerrynewhoff.com, and uh, that's spelled N I E U W H O F. Correct. And it's Kerry, C-A-R-E-Y. And uh, he is the pastor of Connexus Church. He has written a number of books. I believe I saw one in a foreign language. Now I'm guessing it was Actually, there are. The, no, uh, some of them have been translated <laughs> into German, Portuguese, and English. So. I saw Kinder in there, so I was guessing that was your parenting book. Yeah, that's right. That's actually the Germans translated that. So that was great. So that's Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. Mm -hmm. He's also written a book called Leading Change. And his latest book, which is the one that, that for me has been the most intriguing, the most appealing, and uh, his blog's on fire with this stuff he's writing. It's called Lasting Impact. And there is a new edition coming out. 
uh, soon on that. Uh, Carrie will tell us a little bit more at the end of the show, which is the uh, team edition. But Carrie, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. It's an honor to be here. And thank you, you guys, Peyton and Pete. Thanks so much for just building into church leaders and having me on. Appreciate it. Awesome. Carrie, one of the things that we always like to do when we start off our podcast is for our audience who doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell us your story of how you came to faith and uh, how you came and, and started doing the work that you're doing now. Yeah, you bet. I was uh, raised in a Dutch church, believe it or not, after we just talked about strobe waffles. But no. uh, first 10 years of my life, my family, both my mom and dad immigrated from Holland. I was born in Canada. I'm a Canadian. And I uh, always went to church, uh, gave my life to Christ when I was probably about uh, I don't know, maybe 13, and then recommitted my life to Christ approximately 10,000 times in my teenage years every time I sinned. Uh, but at 20 or 21, <laughs> kind of made a decision as an adult that I was going to follow Jesus after drifting for a couple of years. And... um story to get into ministry was sort of through the back door. Uh, since I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, I remember being eight years old and telling my parents I wanted to be a lawyer, and there must have been something deeply wrong with me to have wanted to be a lawyer at eight years old, but that was my story. So got into law school in my dreams, uh, was so excited about that. After undergrad, uh, went to Osgoode Hall Law School in Toronto, and uh, the best thing to come out of law school was my wife, who I met in first year. <laughs> and between first and second year, really... Uh, I had a, a supernatural, I'm not really one of those supernatural type people, but I feel like God really very clearly redirected my life and uh, opened my mind to the possibility of ministry. And uh, spent two or three years trying to figure out what that meant. Uh, finished law, got called to the bar, went into seminary, and still couldn't figure out. I don't have the thought I had no gifts for pastoral ministry, and maybe I'd teach or whatever. But uh, that was in Toronto. My seminary was in Toronto as well. Uh, at about an hour north of Toronto, where I am now, there were three little struggling Presbyterian churches that were looking for a pastor. So mm. we went up, prayed about it. I came up here, and 21 years later, still here, ministering in the area. About eight years ago, started over again, left the denomination that we were a part of for a variety of reasons, and planted Connexus Church. Uh, that's uh, the very first and, and still the only Canadian strategic partner, and uh, just started over again at, at Connexus and have seen God do incredible things. So I've transitioned three, those three little churches eventually grew to about seven, eight hundred people. Uh, restarted with Connexus. We started with a fairly big core. Some of the people came with us, uh, but managed to grow it down to about 300 people. But today we see eleven or 1,200 people on the weekend. Actually, we launched online on Easter weekend, and so we were blown away. 2,200 people Easter weekend, 650 wow. people online, and uh, that's unique users. So like just shy of 3,000 people Easter weekend. Crazy. Wow. So we've seen, seen a lot of growth, and most of that is unchurched people. About 60% of the people who walk mm. through our door self-identify as not having church leadership. I am still mm. married to that girl I met first uh, year law, and uh, we got two <laughs> sons. They're now grown, 24 and 20. One's married and in Toronto, and they are both in school. One is graduating engineering and the other halfway through accounting. Wow. That's, that's awesome. You know, when you said that you got called to the bar, I had a totally different image in my head. Yeah, you know, sometimes the being called to the legal bar drives you to the other bar, but I went to seminary <laughs> right. instead. Yeah, you know what? And, uh, you know, there, there are some questionable things. I'm glad you're still married to uh, the same girl. I always yes. tell people that 
my my wife, you know, all my children are from, you know, I'm married to a woman has children from from all different fathers. And of course, that's because we adopted all our kids. But <laughs> it, uh, it, it raises some eyebrows. They look at my wife sideways, especially because our kids aren't the same color as us. So, you I'll know, bet it does, Peyton. That, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They, sure. they, they look at my wife like, you naughty minx. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyways, hey, Carrie, you know, here's the deal. Um, the stuff that you're writing is kind of, you know, when I read it, I'm like, there's a brother from another mother. Hmm. That guy is writing stuff that matters. It hits home. And so if you guys have not checked him out, check it out. But a lot of it is just, you know, I'm not surprised that the people coming through your door are unchurched because when I read your stuff, I think there's a guy who gets it. He's a guy who um, you've been in the trenches. Obviously, you've been on front lines of ministry. Um, you mentioned being a, in a Presbyterian church. That's not the first thing that comes to mind as a guy who's been in a Presbyterian church in in Europe. But uh, but the reality is, um, you know stuff, and you seem to be very connected with the millennial generation. Tell me a little bit about. You know, we hear a lot about the millennials. We hear about the situation with the millennials. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm a Gen Xer, barely. Not quite a baby boomer, definitely a Gen Xer. And, you know, the whole millennial thing's really blown up in the last five years. But I, I just run into a lot of my friends my age, you know, late 40s, early 50s, who are in business, who just complain. I mean, we go for breakfast, we go for lunch or coffee, or we hang out at my place, and they just complain about this next generation, and they can't spell, and they can't think, and they're entitled, and they're lazy. And I'm like, that is not my experience. It's just Mm -hmm. not my experience. The people I work most closely with at our church are millennials. Actually, tonight at my house, I'm hosting a barbecue for our small group, which are all millennials, except for my wife and I. And I love them. I just, I think they're great. I think they're open. I think they're passionate. I think they're idealistic. They're all the things I think, you know, hopefully I was when I was in my 20s. I still want to be idealistic. And, you know, when people wring their hands, like clearly the church has a problem. So, you know, I love the church and I'm frustrated with the church, which is one of the reasons I write. But, you know, I almost walked away when I was 20. And I remember being frustrated because I love the gospel. I love Jesus. And, yeah, my church, I just knew that that I was in a church where I could invite none of my friends. So my story when I was Presbyterian was, how do we make this thing work sort of for my generation, people in their 30s with kids, and now I'm not in my 30s anymore, and my kids are grown, and I'm like, how do we make this work for the next generation? And they've got slightly, you know, their, their issues are not fundamentally different from mine. They found the church irrelevant. They found the leaders hypocritical. And, uh, they, they were looking for God, couldn't find God in the church. Uh, they have doubts. Their doubts sometimes aren't allowed. You're not allowed to have honest conversation. And so I'm like, yeah, we can, we can do this. And they're, they're looking for community. That's one difference I see. I'm, I'm still almost enough of a boomer and definitely a Gen Xer that I'm very individualistic. Uh, mm. my wife jokes that I will probably be a hermit at some point and have no human interaction <laughs> at all, which is not entirely true, but you know, I'm, I'm way more of a loner. This is a daycare generation. This is a, a group that loves community. Yeah. And, uh, I actually do love community, but I mean, they, they live by it. And, and we want to create great community in, in our church. And so, 
I just think, man, why wouldn't you love millennials? Why wouldn't you love the next generation? And I don't know, depending on the stats you look at, it's not like this is a young people problem, quotes, air quotes. Uh, man, millennials are going to turn 40 soon. Like, this is not like, oh, you know, what about the next generation? No, 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 no. The, the eldest millennials, depending on when you date at 1980, 1981, I've seen as low as 1978. I mean, they're going to turn 40 soon. And so what, mm. are, what are you doing about it? These are not kids. These are adults. So you better figure this one out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm noticing, even like you mentioned, my generation, um, our generation, I'm an Xer. And we, you know, even our generation, man, they, they, they don't, there's a lot of talk about the millennials, but shoot, man, even the Xers, they're gone. If they were at church before, they're gone too. I mean, I remember when Douglas Copeland released whatever that book was in 1993 or whatever. What was it called? Say searching for God. No, that's totally wrong. You're going to get a thousand comments on your blog from people who are like, this is the title of the book. It's just escaping me right now. But, you know, I remember that. Our, our generation was checking out. And I remember being 15 years old, standing on the front steps. At that time, we were attending a, a really good Presbyterian church, evangelical, believe the gospel. I, I grew up hearing the gospel preached week after week in our Presbyterian church in my little hometown. And I remember standing one day after church, 15 years old, going to church, thinking, Number one, I hope my friends don't see me here. And number two, none of them would ever come here. And I just knew that. And so I think God used experiences and moments and emotions like that, that when my surprise turn came in church leadership, it's like, well, I just got to create a church that they would want to attend. And now I want to create a church that the next generation wants to attend. Carrie, uh, let me ask you real quick. How do you create community in your church? It's interesting, you know, because I think the theory, you know, the orthodox answer is you create community groups, and we have hundreds of adults, and every child and teenager, I mean, there's probably pushing eight, nine hundred people in community groups now at our church, which is great. And I believe in that. But one of the conversations at our staff table at Connexus Church, where I serve these days, is community really also happens through serving. Like, it seems to be a lot more organic. But if you look at our production team, we just moved into a new facility last year, and production's a big part of what we do, and launching an online campus. There's authentic community. I mean, these are people who are building friendships. And it's, it's when I love the idea of people serving together, because we do very few things as a church. So if you serve together, that means your community is formed around our mission. And our mission is really important because 96% of the people in central Ontario, north of Toronto, where I live, won't be in church this weekend. So we have, we have a really big, important mission we have to accomplish. So we see community happening organically. We see it happening in community group, but we also increasingly see it happening in serving. And some of my favorite community at our church is among the 600 volunteers who, who serve like that. That's just phenomenal. And they're just on mission. They're selfless. They give, they care. They're passionate. And there's a selfless quality to that community when people mm. serve that is very, very appealing. So that's kind of how we're doing it. It's not really that's complicated. Awesome. No, and, and, and I think that's part of the key is there's often not a, a, a complicated theorem. It's, it's pretty much going back to the basics of the New Testament, but we always think there's a silver bullet. And so we're substituting, you know, I read your blog and I think, man, that's just good old fashioned common sense. And I think as you're, you're in ministry for a number of years, you come to realize that you're never going to be smarter than Paul. 
You're never going to yeah. be smarter than Jesus, you know? And, and the stuff they did, dang it, for some reason that stuff worked. <laughs> Peyton, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Ecclesiastes is my friend. Once I turn 40, it's just like, I think I'm going to just read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> there is nothing new under the sun. I mean, what I'm saying is is really nothing new. I'm just trying to look at what the best of the church has been over the last 2,000 years, as I understand it, and apply it to our context today. I think the advantage I have is I've talked to, you know, 85%, I think, of my audience, both for my leadership podcast and my blog, are American. And I think one of the reasons what I write really resonates with Americans is because I think of Canada as the canary in the coal mine. So 100 years ago, coal miners, you know, gas leaks could be a big issue. And if toxic gases got out in the coal mine, the fur, they would always bring a canary down because the canary is way more sensitive than human beings. And if the canary is dead, you get out of the mine. And Canada is the canary in the coal mine. And so we are hmm. experiencing things slightly ahead of the United States. We're a hybrid between Europe. You mentioned um, planting a church in Europe, Peyton, and I don't know if you've been there, Pete, but my goodness, it is haunting. I remember being in France and walking around on a Sunday morning and like, you know, church is a minority thing in our culture in North America. It is like crickets in Europe. The, the, mm. the, you know, in Germany, the, the birthplace of the Reformation, one to three percent of the population are evangelical Christians, and less than five percent go to church. And it is a it is a society that has learned to be um, successful and prosperous without God, and it just haunts me. Canada is not quite Europe, but it's certainly not the Bible Belt. So I just mm. feel like we're. You know, people in Seattle, in California, you know, in Southern mm-hmm. California, in New England, my friend Josh Gagnon there, we, when we talk, you know, they, they get where we are in yep. Canada, but the Bible Belt, it's like, you know, if you're no. in Texas or in Georgia or something or South Carolina, North Carolina, you're like, okay, I know something's shifting with the next generation, but I don't know what. I think we're able yeah. to articulate it a little bit because we just see it everywhere. And it's not just in millennials. It's in boomers. It's in Xers. It's even in the elder generation. I mean, mm-hmm. we are now sometimes here in Canada, four or five generations removed from a Bible-believing family. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I wrote a book called Church Zero. Cha-ching! That's the rule. If I talk about my, I have to say cha-ching. But 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 I wrote a book and and it it talked about this whole thing about Europe. You know, feeling a a bit like Marty McFly, you know, or or Doc Brown getting off the DeLorean with the almanac and saying, "Hey, man, I I know what's happening in the future." But I remember writing a line in there that was, "Hey, if this doesn't make sense now, wait ten years, maybe twenty. And it's going to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And so that's what I'm connecting with big time on what you're writing. And so, you know, I guess the golden question is, how are you guys seeing millennials reached right now? Yeah, we're seeing that. My wife last night at just at our church, Connexus Church, is uh, part of a, a mentoring group. So we've taken... It's self-selection. I mean, we invited a whole bunch. And 35, uh, I think it's 18 to 30-year-olds, are meeting once a week. And we're doing community. We're, uh, we had dinner last night. They've got mentors who are sort of uh, a stage ahead of them in life or a generation ahead of them in life. Mm. And we're just pouring into them. And we're pouring into their lives. We're pouring into their... Uh, we're pouring into their leadership, and a lot of them want to lead. They just don't have the opportunity. And I think a lot of the time in the church, Peyton and Pete, we end up in a place where 
you know, we're like, oh, well, we got a 22-year-old around our leadership table, but they're not really leading anything. So one of our goals, working with Jeff uh, Brody um, and myself, is we want to see this generation actually running the church a year from now. Like, we want them, we want them in positions of meaningful, oh my goodness, things could go wrong. We kind of bet the franchise on you, uh, leadership positions. And then we just want to help and support them. And so I think putting millennials into real leadership. Another thing we're seeing is groups. My wife and I are in a group like that where people in their 40s or 50s are leading a group of people in their 20s or 30s. And millennials are very, very open to mentoring. They're very open to community in a way that I wasn't when I was 25. And I think you need to take advantage of that. And we're also really engaging them in serving. Uh, if you look at our teams, it's disproportionately young, not just yeah. in student ministry, not just in family ministry, but on production, on guest yep. services, and all the things that we do, disproportionately young. And so, you know, I, I think the only reason to attend the church these days is because you're engaged in the mission. And so mm-hmm. we try to get uh, 18 to 35-year-olds as engaged as we can early. And they're they're just fun to be with. I mean, some of us who are older, we've forgotten how to have fun, and they remind you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There, I can't remember the name of a mo- of the movie, but there was a movie I, I watched recently with uh, Ben Stiller and the guy that played the uh, the bad guy in the recent Star Wars film. And it's about that. It's about guys our age, Carrie, yeah. hanging out with with guys of the millennial. It's a fantastic I'll movie. Watch that. That's great. Yeah, I, I can't remember the name, but it's a Ben Stiller film. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. But anyways, uh, I noticed on Facebook you had a, a picture of your team, and it and it stood out big time that your team was very young. Average I mean, age they of were, 12, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was particularly noticing the five-year-olds. That yeah, were that's right. Team. That's right. Yeah, but, it is uh, a pretty young team, actually. And, uh, you know, I'm almost the oldest member of staff. And uh, we have a lot of young leaders. We're uh, we're just bringing somebody on board in a senior leadership position at 28. And I just, I just think that's really, really important to get young leaders and not just people who fill slots but people who actually lead. So we also have a leadership development program. And we go for people who are just completing high school, who are not quite yet in college, but college bound. And Mm. uh, we offer them the opportunity to join us for a year. And, you know, they do real ministry. They do some incredible things. Okay. So that's what I want to ask about is how, when, when you do that, is that like a funded program? Are they living at home? Do they come and live somewhere in the city? Do they... Uh, well, do you fund we, them? Do you pay them? Do you yeah, use them as slave we, labor? <laughs> I think it's illegal to use people as slave labor. I'm not sure in my country anyway. Uh, only we pay if you them. get caught, Carrie. We, only, only if you, if get, you caught. get caught. We pay them. Uh, it's not a huge amount of money, but we pay them. We give them an honorarium. Um, it's a scholarship program. So they get some money toward their education. They also get a computer, a MacBook. So I mean, Whoa. that's like huge incentive. Uh, we bring them to training events. They get at least one international conference a year. So for us, that's typically in Atlanta at North. 
North Point or Orange or Rethink Leadership, uh, some of our favorite places to go. And so we'll, we'll fly them there. And then we give them real responsibility in kids ministry, in student ministry, and in service programming. And so I think this year we have four of them. And so it swaps out every year. Sometimes we have summer internships as well. And some of our staff come from that. And then, and then sometimes those people go on to serve in other churches. I mean, we are, we are feeders because not everybody stays in our community. You know, we are feeders for other churches. And I think that's success. Sometimes as a church leader, you see that as failure. Why don't these people stick around? Hey, if they are serving in another church, we have one of our former LDPs, we call them leadership development programs. She's serving in a church in Edmonton. I mean, we just think that Alberta, we just think that's amazing. We have another one who went on to be the chief graphic designer at a church in Oakville, a very, very large church in Oakville outside of Toronto. We just think those are wins. Like, you got to take a kingdom perspective here. And if we are exporting leaders as well as recruiting leaders for our own purposes, that's amazing. That's pretty cool, man. So you do the one in your home. Um, tell me a little bit about what that looks like. So I come through the door, I'm brand new. How do I get into that? Is 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 it kind of like... Uh, yeah, that, that's just a community group. I mean, so we we tend to form community groups like most North Point churches at Grouplink. And uh, we this one happened to be an existing college group that was meeting, or young adult group. And uh, one of a my, my assistant, Sarah, she's 29. Her and her husband were in the group. And they just said, hey, would you guys be open to doing this next year? And we're like, sure, that's great. Because for me, and I've, I've, I've said this for years, I am not interested in being in a community group with a whole bunch of Christians trying to get holier. I need an unchurched person in my community group or somebody who's got a million questions or somebody who's afraid to become a Christian, or I need a next generation to build into that. I, you know, often we misdefine spiritual maturity as getting. I just want to get deeper. I want to get closer to God. I think real true spiritual maturity comes from giving. So listen, we receive a lot from these young adults who are in our community group, but we're there as the mentors. And to me, that is life-giving. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So um, when when you're meeting with them, are you um, are you guys having food together? Because I love the idea that, you know, you're, you're a pastor, you've got a large congregation, and yet you're investing and prioritizing this next generation. And I think when people say, what's the secret to reaching millennials? I'm hearing you say, I'm just pouring into the ones around me. That's and that it. catches. You can't know them all, but you can know a few, right? It's Andy Stanley's do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So we're doing for <laughs> eight what we wish we could do for everyone or 10 or maybe I forget whether our group is 10 or 12, but they're all coming over. I'm firing up the big green egg right after we hang up and oh. you know, I'm going to do ribs. Oh. And- Big Chicken respect wings for tonight. you. And we're just going to, we're going to hang out and we're doing one of the books. Uh, I, I travel a lot lately. So, um, we haven't had group as much as we should. So we've been working on one book for a few months, but it's, uh, we talked about what we could do and, you know, we had a number of candidates. They were studying Dallas Willard and I love Dallas, but like, man, you need a PhD to read it. So we found this um, <laughs> book that I had read earlier. They're smarter in, in Canada than in America, Carrie. <laughs> there you go. Don't tell anybody. So um, I, I 
suggested Henry Nouwen's The Genesee Diary, one of my favorite books of all time. And so Mm. we've just been working through his seven-month journey in a Trappist monastery in upstate New York. It's his journal. And it's just fascinating, a fascinating account of like spiritual formation, self-awareness, prayer. And Mm. I mean, they're, they're just eating it up. And so am I, actually. It's been a great book to read again. So uh, we're doing that. And then we're just kind of doing life together and trying to learn from each other and solve each other's problems. I go to them with problems. They come to me with problems. And, you know, we're trying to figure it out. And I think I think for a lot of, particularly if you're over 40, don't think of millennials as a category. Think of them as people. And as you get mm. to know them, and as you really just have a few in your life, you will you will begin to see the patterns. And I mean, the patterns are what I write about. But, you know, you begin to see the principles and you'll go, oh, so community is something they really, really care about. I am way more individualistic than almost anybody under 40 in my church. And I just need to be aware of that, that, hey, if I'm going to be effective in reaching them, I've got to change my methodology or at least make a methodology available for them that really works. And that's okay. You ready to bust out the question? All right. If it's time, I'll ask it. So one of the things we do, carry at the end of uh, each of our interviews, it's, it's the one question we always ask that literally everyone listens and endures some of our podcasts I should just have so they get to this one. You, you probably should have listened to one or two. I probably so should have. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm totally on me. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Michael Hyatt, who would win? <gasps> <laughs> oh, Michael. I, I think I think Michael would win. I would, you know, I would dominate in the first minute. And then I'd be like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And I would just roll over and play dead. That's probably what I would do. I think that's, that's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. I would be like, you know, punching, hitting. And then I'm like, you know, because adrenaline kicks in. You're a guy. And then I'd be like, I'm such an idiot. And then I'd just stop. Michael would win. You'd, you'd be like, but you might be like, bro, you know, come on, let's hug. Let's make up. Yeah. It's like, and okay, then, I didn't dominate. Would you be on my podcast, Michael? That's probably how I'd end it. I think that's and he I'd would just, it. he would respect the moxie that you had to build your own platform, to use that as an opportunity. Hey, I used his book. That. The reason you are reading my blog is in the summer of 2012, I read Platform and I had a book coming out in the fall. And I realized publishers don't sell books and, you know, not that, gosh, I, I didn't have any crazy ambitions about the blog becoming what it would become. I just like, okay, I guess I better write three times a week because I almost shut my blog down. So Michael Hyatt, probably what I would do if I got into a fight, see the pre- presupposition is we are fighting. I would probably just say, <laughs> man, I, I just owe you way too much. Just respect. You win. Yeah. Punch technical, me in the face. Technical knockout. Yeah, you earned it. Go ahead you and punch it. me. I dig Thank it, you, Michael. No, I love, I love Michael. <laughs> you win. Right on. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, Mike could probably punch me in the face as well. And uh, that's right. And then write about you know five reasons it worked. That's what we do. <laughs> and he, he would of course do the headline in clickbait format. Yeah, he would. But what happened? Hey, listen, I am the king of clickbait format. I've been accused of many things, and that one is very accurate. But what happened next? No one saw coming. <laughs> Wait until the end. It'll shock you. <laughs> <laughs> next. So, uh, hey, hey, real quick. Tell us, before we let you go, tell us about the new version coming out of uh, the book. 
Well, Lasting Impact was a lot of fun to release. We uh, worked on it last year, and you know we had modest ambitions for the book, and it completely creamed all of our ambitions. Um, this has gotten into a lot. I think six months in, we're at 10,000 copies, maybe more, uh, wow. which is incredible because my audience is very, very narrow. It's basically senior pastors and their teams. That's like... It's not a big market. And so we kept hearing from, like, I still hear every week from people who are reading the book and processing it with their teams. And we thought, well, why not just make it easier? Uh, and I get requests to speak, and I don't have, you know, the, the, the bandwidth to get to every church. So uh, my team and I sat down, and we shot a whole sequence of videos, one for each chapter, and then a bonus video on how to have very difficult discussions without blowing your team to smithereens. And mm. so it's about me teaching for about 20 minutes my best content that mm. you can plug and play uh, right before you sit down to discuss the conversation with your staff, with your board, with your team. And so that'll be available uh, starting, I think the target, I've got a meeting later today, is the end of April. And it'll be available at lastingimpactbook.com. If you go there right now, you won't see anything. But just check back. You can buy the book. But uh, watch for that or subscribe to my email list off my blog, and you'll hear all about it when it comes out. So it's just a way for a fraction of the price of flying me in, getting uh, way more content than I would give you if I was actually in the building. So hopefully that's helpful. Awesome. Very cool. And you can check uh, out Carrie's book, um, Lasting Impact, and the others we mentioned, Leading Change, at Amazon.com mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much anywhere else that uh, fine Christian books are sold. Well, hey, that was an awkward pause. Normally, Pete comes in and says <laughs> something, you know, markety. <laughs> so, well, it's not my I podcast, will... so I'm not filling gaps. So just, just you know, so you know. I got, I got saying. people around here telling me to be quiet. Yeah, er- earlier before we actually were recording, uh, before Carrie was on, Pete looked at someone and said, you want a piece of this? So we probably should not have Pete talk too much. So It's true. It's true. It is true. <laughs> but then awesome. I heard him laughing. So, <laughs> Well, hey, this has been the Hardcore Church Planning Show. We have had Carrie Newhoff with us. Uh, big respect. Thanks for coming on, Carrie. Hey, thanks and, so much, uh, Peyton. Thanks, Pete. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.